You're listening to Rock of Ages, where I introduce my friends who are much into music theater to different types of pop and rock music. And sometimes they'll introduce me to some theater music. Today we're talking about David Bowie, the man who sold the world. With me I have Isaiah. Hello. Kay. Hey. And Romy. Hey. The Man Who Sold the World is the third studio album by English musician David Bowie. It was originally released on November 4th, 1970 in the United States and April 10th, 1971 in the United Kingdom under Mercury Records. The producer was uh, Tony Visconti and the genres are hard rock, blues rock, and glam rock. Now I'm going to read the uh, all music review from Stephen Thomas Irvine. Even though it contained no hits, The Man Who Sold the World, for most intents and purposes, was the beginning of David Bowie's classic period. Working with guitarist Mick Ronson and producer Tony Visconti for the second time, Bowie developed a tight, twisted, heavy guitar rock that appears simple on the surface but sounds more gnarled and grotesque upon each listen. The mix is off-center, with the fuzz bass dominating the compressed, razor-thin guitars and Bowie's strangled, affected voice. The sound of The Man Who Sold the World is odd, but the music itself is bizarre, with Bowie's weird, paranoid, futuristic tales melded to Ronson's riffing and the band's relentless attack. Musically, there isn't much innovation on The Man Who Sold the World. It is almost all hard blues rock or psychedelic folk rock, but there's an unsettling edge to the band's performance, which makes the record one of Bowie's best albums. What do we think? No. No? I do not wish to disclose my opinion because I love David Bowie too much. You have to. I don't know. It could be because it's just his like super early stuff. I, I'm not sure. I like There's like four solid tracks on this album, but nothing else is really appealing to me. The I, title track is awesome. The opener is amazing. Save Your Machine is pretty cool. What's the fourth one? I miscounted. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one who disagrees with you. I don't love this album, but I... I do like it, and I have a high amount of respect for it. It's got this weird sound that's uniquely its own. To be honest, it kind of sounds like a three-way between Jimmy Page, Sid Barrett, and Friedrich Nietzsche. Mm. But how, how about you, Rowan? I, I, I think it's really great. I can't hate it, because it's David Bowie. Exactly. I, 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 there's only, like, two songs I outright hate on this album. Does anyone want to guess what they are? Black Country Rock. Nope, I actually do like that one. What? Okay, that was my only guess. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Asian racism. Running Gun Blues? Yep, yeah, that, that's the one. Running Gun Blues. That's just the one song I do not like on this album. Weird. I get that it's like supposed to be like social commentary, 
on like uh, PTSD soldiers in America coming back from the Vietnam War and all they want to do is kill more Asian people. But even as social commentary, I don't think it works because Bowie's voice sounds like he's being strangled to death. I'm looking at my notes that are incomplete, so that's why I didn't post them in the notes chat. But for running gun blues, I just put, I don't like this very much, 3 out of 10. I don't like this very much too, bro. I don't blame you. That's not the best well on the bright side it did give us a new addition to our our, our yes sentence. our great little aneurysm machine i'm gonna read it for everyone stuck it's inside of robot with my melancholy memphis la running gun roadhouse outside woman blues brothers variation again <laughs> <laughs> by, the, by the end of the podcast run it'll be a whole essay by the end, by the of, end of the podcast i might die from a stroke <laughs> By the end of the There'll podcast. be a whole episode of just saying it. <laughs> yeah, it'll take up the whole length. And, and it's gonna it's gonna be the length of a watch this by the time I'm done mine. I'm. Anyway, uh, okay, you dipped out for a few minutes, but I I said that this album feels like a three-way between Jimmy Page, Sid Barrett, and Friedrich Nietzsche. You know, I don't know all those people, but the ones I do know, yeah. (laughs) For the theater kids who don't know who any of those are, Jimmy Page, guitarist for Led Zeppelin, Sid Barrett, the original guitarist and singer-writer for Pink Floyd, and Friedrich Nietzsche... 19th century German philosopher. No, he is. I know that one. That big brain, big brain, big smart. Big Don't brain know place. the others. He fits just well with the rock community. That Friedrich. <laughs> the songs where I can feel the most Nietzschean influence are uh, "After All" and uh, more, more blatantly the Superman, which takes his uh, Ubermensch theory, which is like the like the superhuman theory, which, which is like one day humanity will be enlightened to become a new being entirely. And so kind of the yeah, song heard of that. the song kind of like shows what it'll be like if like the uh, the superman and the inferior mortal man are living together like the, the ubermensch are just going to like be picking on the regular man because they're mortal. But like the the second verse it's very interesting. It's like uh, delves into the fact that the superman can't die even though some of them wish to. So it really asks you a question, which is better, being mortal or being immortal? Because on the one hand, you'll outlive everything, but on the other hand, everything will outlive you. So, True. Which is very philosophical. F- philosophical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> philosophical. Falafel. <laughs> Indeed. Bowie later said of the Superman that it was a period piece and pre-fascist, which is fun. Everyone likes a little fascism in music. I know Bowie loves fascism. I was listening to It's No Game earlier today. The very, the very you know screaming. after the, like the the album ended for me today the, the the first song that came on was station to station and it really put things into perspective that the man who sold the world was released in late 1970 and like just five years later station to station was released he would be eating peppers and milk don't forget the cocaine my friend truly truly ascended <laughs> as an artist that right there is a superman <laughs> the real ubermensch i don't even know if i'm pronouncing it right because i'm not german i'm pretty yeah, you sure can pronounce Achtung correctly <laughs> anyway the very first track on here it's pretty good very good it's a wonderful song about david bowie he's disillusioned by the hippie movement and gets lost in the woods and then before he knows it he's <laughs> having sex with satan and not only what that what a david bowie thing to do and is not it only that like and not Is only it like that, having he, sex and, with a piece of paper? You don't have to ask David Byrne that one. But not only that, yeah. David Bowie oh, Davey B. Like, 
He likes it. He's telling him to do it again. Steely Dan reference? Oh my god. <laughs> Is that a fucking Steely Dan reference? I put that in my notes. <laughs> very, very cool. Me, when I ask someone to do it again, Isaiah just runs in and says, Oh my god, you just referenced Steely Dan. That is the best band of all the times. <laughs> hey, you weren't here for the Steely Dan episode, but let me just say, it probably ruined Isaiah forever. It, it, it really did for that year. Now it's you two. What will it be next year? Who knows? <laughs> the Kinks. <laughs> 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 they are a good band with what, a good album, and I will die on that hill. Uh, what bands have we not covered on this podcast that ruin Isaiah? Pearl Jam, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, I'm still waiting for fucking Tom Petty. I'm holding out. <laughs> and also Pearl Jam. I kind of like Pearl Jam. Pearl so Jam. Like my, my dad Most listens to Pearl Jam. Pilots. Weezer. My dad also listens to that one. Oh, Slay. <laughs> By the way, just a little uh, note on the title, Width of a Circle. The width of a circle is the same as its width. I know this because I took geometry for a couple of years. If you wanted to be more the accurate, geometry. you should have said the width of an oval. That would have been fun. Good song. You swallow this pride and forget his lips. Show me the leather bound round his hips. My knees were shaking, my cheeks are flame. Tell me, Isaiah, just why don't you like this album? Um, because Hunky Dory came out right after, and that's, that's the a... superior album. Well, obviously, but I still like this album. I, I have no idea. I could say it's just the sound, but Hunky Dory sounds like this too, kind of, but um, I, I have no idea. I think The Man Who Sold the World was heavily it's... influenced by Led Zeppelin, which was like the hot new thing How? at the time. Hunky Dory sounds like... Uh, a traditional 1920s burlesque show tune. They are not the same. I I have no idea. Although uh, Quicksand and uh, Oh You Pretty Things, they do have Nietzschean elements in the lyrics. Honestly, I, I think I, I have a huge amount of respect for this album because I think this is like the first glam rock album. Like uh, David Bowie's first album, it's it's Music Hall. But his second album, which which is the one that has Space Oddity on it, is Psychedelic Freak Folk. But this, and this album is, uh, it's like Led Zeppelin hard rock, but he meshes it with the, uh, the psychedelic folk scene that was happening with Sid Barrett and turns into something a bit different. And dare I say, theatrical. There's a little bit of music hall in here, but I'm not sure there's a lot of it. And I think Bowie took note of this and included a lot more music hall on Hunky Dory. Is this my favorite um, <laughs> glam rock album of his? Uh, no, it is not. Uh, I don't think Bowie would perfect his glam rock until Ziggy Stardust. Sorry, this is kind of unrelated, but also like, kind of related. I just got a notification from Instagram and I opened it up. And the first thing I fucking see is a David Bowie meme about his <laughs> album covers. I'm putting it in general. No, wait, I'm putting is it, it in general. Is it the hunky-dory, like, the fish thing? <laughs> there's no fish like in Google it. It's a fucking cat. But, like... I don't really get the joke too well, I don't think, but (laughs) just the the fact that it is the first thing I see, I think it's something spiritual. (laughs) I am a Bowie connoisseur, baby. I can understand the reference. Clearly, I'm not if I don't like this album. Exactly. You get it. Hashtag low elitist. 
Uh, this is, is a reference to. Staring at you. This is a reference to Space Oddity, uh, Aladdin Sane. Let's see here, Young Americans. Probably. Young Americans. Yeah. And maybe scary monsters. That the heroes. Explaining the deep lore of this cat meme. <laughs> they're they're really making a big deal out of face album covers. Oh my god. <laughs> Imagine having an artist on their own album cover. Could be me. It's easy if you try, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, is that uh, a fucking Forrest Gump reference? <laughs> anyway, um, I I think Black Country Rock is pretty rocking. It's uh it's about like this very industrial part in the middle of England that has been ruined by air pollution. And David Bowie's taking me for a ride up there. That's fun. Uh, I said it was groovy in my notes. I kind of I said was... I keep I said I keep thinking he's going to say Black Country Road. <laughs> West Virginia. Yeah, exactly. Mountain Mama? Mountain <laughs> Mama. <laughs> um West Virginia. Black Country Road. John uh, Denver for Rock of Ages podcast. John <laughs> Denver Rock of Ages. Maybe we'll, Road, maybe we'll do go. the maybe we'll do the John Denver Muppet Christmas album this year or next year. Oh, true. Yeah. West Virginia, uh, Mount Mama. I've only set foot in West Virginia for like ten minutes. Did you see Mothman? Maybe. Did you see Mountain Mama? <laughs> I'm proud to say I did. Yeah! <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> Anyway, um, if I had to pick, like, three songs for our three big influences on this album, uh, the Superman would obviously go to Nietzsche, uh, She Shook Me Cold would go to Jimmy Page, and After All would go to Sid Barrett. Like, that is, like, like we haven't gotten to any of the Sid Barrett stuff in, in this podcast yet, but it just, this, this sounds a lot like what he was doing at the time. For those who don't know, Sid Barrett was originally in Pink Floyd before he went crazy and got fired. Uh-oh. It's a very, actually a very sad story, and we'll get to it when we get to, like... Cover with Shuri here. And Piper and Saucer Full of Secrets. Boo, early Pink Floyd. I saw those two albums when I was record hunting earlier mm. today, actually. There's there's a new mix out for mm. Saucerful. I, frankly, I think Saucerful was a lot times better than Piper at the Gates of Dawn. The only thing I remember about Saucerful is the cover is a Doctor Strange comic. <laughs> I don't remember the actual music at all. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, rated R, coming next week. So hyped. This is your unofficial plug for uh, Doctor Strange, <laughs> Sam Raimi. Sponsor Rock of Ages and Marvel. You know, I would do Saucerful of Secrets you. next week, but then, but I would rather do like Piper first because I can't. Well, yeah, I'm I super can't, open to that. I've I, been I, wanting I, to re-listen to the stuff. I can't just open up Pink Floyd with by saying this is Sid Barrett's second and last album with the group. We need to have <laughs> the context, people. The context. And that's what this is all about. <laughs> Uh, so I find it weird that David Bowie really tried to make "Oh by Jingo" a thing on After All. I like after all the the, mid, the middle part at least the little wah, instrumental wah, section. Wah, wah, yeah, wah, wah. <laughs> that was my impression of a Moog synth. Beautiful. Like in the American issue of the band who sold the world on like the back cover, there's like three stately folks who like are dressed out of a 1920s party and they're just and they're just shouting, "Oh by Jingo!" <laughs> like no, Mr. David. Bojangles? No one is gonna say "Oh by Jingo" after this album comes out, David, and you should feel ashamed of yourself. No one was saying it before, but okay. I, I want to point out how the guy on the American album cover is getting Thanos snapped. His <laughs> his hat's like fading away. Let's talk about the cover. So the 1971 British version of this uh, album is, I think, is the superior album cover, but it features David Bowie in a dress and leather boots with with uh, solitaire cards on the floor. 
I'm just gonna say it. He looks very hot. It's it's very cool. But the original 1970 American uh, album cover has like a guy with a, a musket and a cowboy hat and he's at night. And I'm assuming he's the guy from Running Gun Blues. I don't know, but he's just there and he has a, like a speech bubble next to him, but that speech bubble is empty. But I'm only assuming that he's saying, I'm about to sell the world. <laughs> it would fit with the context of the album, honestly. It would. <laughs> he's the man who sold the world. But who's the man who bought the world? That's the real question. <laughs> Elon Musk! Kurt Cobain. Oh, yeah, Elon, Elon, Elon works. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah, the man who sold there. the world... I'm not going to lie. The man who sold the world is the best song off this album, and it's no contest. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, it's like... I think a lot of the songs on here are pretty well-crafted, but the uh, the title track is obviously the song that is the most well-crafted, if, yeah. you know, if you know what I mean. I've been hearing the Nirvana version for super long, so it was really refreshing to hear the original. Again. Yeah. Personally, I like the David Bowie version better than the Nirvana version. That's not because, That's hard for me. It's not because I think Nirvana is an overrated band. I mean, I don't <laughs> want to listen to them again, but I don't think they're overrated. But I just think uh, the Bowie's original version has, Alice in more, Chains is superior. has more interesting elements to it. Yeah, Alice in Chains is superior. In fact, instead of listening to Turn Off the Dark for, for last week, I <laughs> listened to more Alice in Chains. I only listened to Turn Off the Dark like two hours before we were scheduled to record. <laughs> I got into uh, Man in the Box. That's a great song. It is. I added more Alice in Chains on the wheel, so yippee. Hey. Hey. Isaiah, what did you think of All the Mad Men? Because I'm afraid you think it's too happy. Because it's not happy. Um, For my notes, it said the beginning gave me space oddity vibes. I don't remember. So, yeah. And I said the the spoken part was fire. Shit, it does sound like space oddity in the beginning. (laughs) Well, yeah. the ending is bombastic and um, and great. Yeah, I, I like the song. I think it's good. Yeah, I recommend you give it another shot. Yeah, I'll oh, re-listen to some of the tracks. Yeah. You know, All the Mad Men reminds me of September of 2020. 19 years ago. Can you believe that? That's my favorite month of 2020. Yeah. 12,000 years ago. I believe that's the first time I ever listened to Remain in Light. Mm. I won't say anything more because... Everyone knows how I feel about that album. Yeah, you despise it with all your living fire. Oh, yeah, no, it's the worst album of all time. Yeah, I mean, you're in town. That's the real shit right there. <laughs> yeah, you're in town is peak music. Anyone who disagrees is a bozo. <laughs> anyway, uh, why all Mad Men reminds me of September 2020 is because... So there's this anime out there called Fate. And then there's a character called uh, Sven. That's S-V-I-N. And uh, Jess was compiling a playlist of songs that related to Sven. And I immediately thought of all the Mad Men. But not because this song relates to him as a character, which it absolutely doesn't. Because at the end of the song, uh, Bowie is singing in French, Zane, 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 over le chien, which is French for Zane, 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 open the dog. Where did the... (laughs) Oh, I just said, ouh, le chien. I was like, where's the dog? I think the dog is supposed to be a metaphor for the man stuck in the asylum. But anyway, um, Sven's nickname in the the fate, the case files, was Le Chien because he has a lot of uh, canine characteristics. There's a lot of I could go on a lot of things about Sven and that uh, his other defining personality trait is that he creepily uh, flirts with lesbians, (laughs) like Rivers Cuomo. Weezer's gonna be a blast. So true. 
Anyway, like I said, the song does not relate to Sven in any way, but I still sent it to Jess. And she, she said, and I quote, I have the, the, the message right here. Yeah, not gonna add it. It's not especially relevant to Sven, and it clashes with the rest of the playlist's tone. Rest in peace. Like, I'm assuming now that Sven is a very jovial man, and uh, never in a million years did I think that Sven Le Chien is gonna commit himself to an insane asylum. <laughs> but she did uh, cap off at the end. Thanks for introducing me to a cool song. Looking back, this kind of depresses me. Well, um, let's bring bring uh, bring it back to a light a bit. Uh, does anyone want to talk about the time when David Bowie predicted Joe Biden? Yeah, <laughs> Joe Biden, these nuts. <laughs> my favorite David Bowie lyrics. So, what's does anyone? <laughs> my, favorite David, my favorite David Bowie lyric was when he translated uh, "Gosh into Cebuano." Anyway, let's talk about Savior Machine. So the plot ro- focuses around uh, Joe Biden, of course, creating a robot to solve the world's problems, but then the robot gains self-consciousness, but and instead of destroying human race, it is sad because the human race isn't already destroying itself. Which I think is quite interesting. It's all part of David Bowie's uh, philosophy period. David Bowie just made a song about if Ultron was depressed. David Bowie literally just predicted 2020 50 years ago. <laughs> that sounds pompous yeah. as frick, but he did. And if you still don't believe me, just listen to this, this uh, line. A plague seems quite feasible now. Or maybe a war. <laughs> what? Oh my god. Like, I remember the runaway guys were talking about how like the most realistic um, apocalypse would be like a plague. And it was before the obvious. <laughs> okay, are you hearing this? Uh, it's a little glitchy, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you living in 2020? Thank David Bowie, because he's the one who predicted it. <laughs> You are now entitled to financial compensation. Is it any better than The Simpsons predicting things? I don't know, but anyway, I mean, congratulations, David president. Bowie. You're a prophet. I wonder if we can predict when I'm going to get married. I highly doubt it because he's dead. <laughs> he's yes. We could have a seance. <laughs> <laughs> we could find out when I'll get my first Oscar, finally. <laughs> uh, when I mean, it's when gonna am I going to get my Oscar? I wonder if The Simpsons will, will predict when I get my Oscar. Anyway, let's talk about She Shook Me Cold, where David Bowie rejects uh, Groupie's advances because he knows it's not the right thing to do to have sex with a Meyer, and then he immediately goes onto a hill and gets head. <laughs> That's literally the entire premise of the song. Yeah. And I like the song. I'm not gonna say it's his best song of all time, because obviously not. It's about David Bowie getting head. But the music's, yeah. the music's nice. Clearly the best song of all time. You can definitely oh, see the Led Zeppelin influence in the music. I'm looking at the lyrics, and it is now just blatantly obvious that it's about him getting head. Yeah, you know, I didn't really listen to the lyrics when I listened to this one. Yep. She yeah, sucked my dormant will. 
<laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Mother, she blew my brain. I will go back again. <laughs> my God, she should. Just a told. reminder that David Bowie is bisexual. Icon. Me too, Bessie. Oh my God, same. Hashtag same core. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, look Almost at him rocking same. that dress. At one, like, remember the Hunky Dory episode when we saw a picture of him in drag with uh, his, his wife, wife and a baby stroller? And, yep, the future director of Warcraft. <laughs> the most important person in that picture. <laughs> if you told me that the David Bowie and the guy who directed Warcraft were uh, related to each other, I would have laughed. I have also, I have a, a Hunky Dory fun fact. A Funky Dory fact. Um, I think it's no secret that, uh... One of David Bowie's irises is uh, sh- is smaller than the other, and that's because it's like a schoolboy, like a sc- a bully, beat up David Bowie once right in the eye, and it caused like a a permanent uh, this. It caused his iris to like permanently be like smaller than his like other eye. I think it was his left eye. I'm I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, do you want to know Ooh. what happened to that school to that bully? Not especially. He was the one who took uh, David Bowie's picture for the album cover. Oh. This that is, is that's cool. literally a Darman video. <laughs> School bully learns his lesson. Victim becomes David Bowie. <laughs> oh, that raves the same that raves the same energy as like this chain mail that where it was about the creation of the Last Supper. Like he got the guy got a guy to play Jesus and many years later when he was trying to find somebody to post the model for Judas, he found this really disheveled guy and like it turned out it was the same guy who had post is jesus and uh, yes, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah it's it, like it poetry happen, so you know that they rhyme it, it didn't happen but it's very interesting to think about mm, yeah like a little m night Shyamalan plot twist yep what a twist m night Shyamalan? <laughs> like i said yes for this is the first glam rock album i don't think bowie would perfect his glam rock until the rise and fall of ziggy stardust and the spiders from mars but it's nice to hold this in my hand and say, "Well, you are important, my little baby. I will, I will keep you protected." And for that, I'm giving it a solid eight. Beautiful. Beautiful. All Beautiful. I, we're staring Beautiful. at you now, Beautiful. Isaiah. Beautiful. We're all just staring at you, Isaiah, wondering how I, low you'll rank this album. I, I don't think I'm gonna give it the lowest rating, but I don't know. I think. What I gave Carrie a six, right? Yeah. Six point one. Yeah. <laughs> I'd I'd rather listen to this than Carrie. I was very generous with the Carrie rating. Frankly, I, I don't. Thought, frankly, it's I think, probably my least favorite David Bowie album that I've listened to. Frankly, I thought that Carrie was also a little psychotherapeutically lugubrious. Carrie's good. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! But wasn't Carrie also bullshit necromancy? No. I, another Chris Gow review? Um, Chris Gow did not review Carrie, nor did he review nah, no the one man came who sold to the life world. Carrie. That was the worst I, part. I was talking with one of my friends who happens to be a theater kid, and I was like, oh yeah, the last musical that I listened to was Carrie, and she, she was like, I am so sorry for you. <laughs> oh my god, no! That is so mean. Carrie's so fucking good. It wasn't Riley, was it? It was just me! And then we proceeded. No, it was not Wyatt. It was someone we don't, we don't I was, know. I said Riley. Oh, well, it wasn't her either. <laughs> and then we proceeded to talk about Great Comet, because that's a good musical. Shut up, shut, yeah. up, shut up, Great Comet is good, but Carrie's also good. Ah. Isaiah, This um, podcast was created specifically to bully me, actually. Isaiah, gun to your head. Um, Okay, not a gun to your head situation, but you're locked in a room, but you find uh-huh. a key, 
and there are two doors you can go out. Are you going to ask they me both lead to, to Lodger? They both lead to freedom, but you either have to listen to either this or Lodger. Oh, why do you do this to me, man? This podcast was actually made to bully you, Isaiah. Uh, Lodger has DJ, and I I love that song so much. It's pretty But funky. this album has the width of a circle and the title track. Oh, my God. And don't forget Joe Biden's song. Yeah, and Joe Biden. But is Lodger worth it just for DJ, dare I ask? I don't know. I think I'd... Well, once you're free, you can listen to whatever you want. I'll, I'll go with this with this album. Okay, fair. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Kay? Ooh, this one. I, <laughs> I was talking it. about like your rating for this album. You, oh, haven't, you <laughs> haven't listened to Lodger yet, so... <laughs> well... Now I want to make it low so it can be, well, I can afford to drag it down lower than Terry, just just despite you. Um, hold on, I did write this down. I definitely wrote this down. I've been trying to write my ratings down so I don't come up with them on the spot, and then I, like, bury them in the deepest corner of my drawers. Okay, okay, um, it was a 6.2. I do not have good handwriting. I mean, it's not the best Bowie album, it's, it's completely fair. Did I give the other one a rating? Um, you... You gave Young Americans a six and a half, and Hunky Dory a seven point two, and I don't think you've listened to Ziggy Stardust, but that's what the Redux episode yeah. is for. No, yeah, that, then I, my rating stays. That that's where I would put it in my list of <laughs> the Bowie albums that I like. You know, in before you rate every single Bowie album we do on this podcast higher than the Beatles. <laughs> Fuck the Beatles. No, don't fuck the Beatles. Don't fuck the Beatles. Run far away from them. Speaking of the Beatles, um, George Harrison was not a fan of David Bowie. What? (laughs) It was in a 1974 interview when he was, like, calling out the phoniness in, like, glam rock and specifically in people like Elton John and David Bowie. He's just a big meanie. Granted, George did uh, warm up to Elton if a couple years later he cited him along with Bob Dylan and Eric Clapton as one of his favorite recording <sighs> artists. Our favorite people, right? The only pe- person I like in that group is Elton John. Yeah. <laughs> I-, I like Bob Dylan. Do I need you? <laughs> do I need to sing uh, I Want You Again or Rainy Day Woman? Wow. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, George just never warmed up to David Bowie. And I really hope it's not traces of homophobia or transphobia. He betrayed me, Georgie. And you like, were my favorite Beatle. Uh, he was talking about it on a radio interview with his good buddy, John Lennon. And he was like, um... <laughs> Johnny boy! <laughs> and George was like, uh, uh, George Harrison, he met David in Memphis once. And they like, he, this was like during his, like, his transition between Diamond Dogs and Young Americans. So he was kind of, he had a, like, he was a, a ginger-haired soul man at this point, And he was wearing a, a, a big red, a big hat. And then, uh, George took the hat off and said... Can I look into you to see who you are? Because, you know, he was a very spiritual person. He didn't believe in phoniness. I think he was high. He didn't believe in, like, phoniness and drugs. He, he It was the to... side effect of the cocaine. <laughs> At the end of the interview, George said, All these people, like David Bowie and Elton John, I just think they're stupid. And then John <laughs> cut in and said... Well, I think they're great. And then all of a sudden, George Harrison got super defensive. So he was like, well, I think they're dumb. <laughs> so that was I mean, fun. <laughs> And only a couple years later, David Bowie and George Harrison's mutual friend, Eric Idle of Monty Python, he asked George if he wanted to set him up with Bowie for, like, a dinner. And then George Harrison, like, just went, David Bowie, uh, fuck that <laughs> noise. Like a rich snob. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess he didn't have his mindset on him. 
Romy, uh, what's your rating for this album? Uh, seven. Uh, seven point five. It's not his best album, but it still has its charm to it. That's basically how I feel about the album. Our next Bowie album is going to have to be Station to Station, so I don't permanently piss off the Bowie stands. I was actually having. I actually wanted it to be uh, Aladdin Sane. Sorry. Oh, I love Aladdin Sane. That's fine. But we we all know we don't do uh, repeat the out things every like so often. Like we don't just have a David Bowie album that just go to another David Bowie album that just won't work. Mm-hmm. So let's spin the wheel to see the next block we get. <laughs> and remember, Frank. Frank remember, for boys. Bye, boy. If we get to a concept okay. album or a rock opera, we have to look at a theater album for episode uh, 68. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel. I'm spinning the wheel, guys. David Bowie. <laughs> That's a. You guys have epic George Harrison impressions. Ooh, all right. Okay, your, uh, your wishes have been answered. The next album we'll be looking at is Tom Petty, Full Moon Fever. Oh. oh! I know this one, actually. It's one of the ones I've listened to, I think. All right, thank you. Thank you.